Hi, I'm Jason Wacob, founder and co-CEO of MindBuddyGreen and your host for the MindBuddyGreen podcast, where I'll be bringing you deep and insightful dialogues with some of the greatest minds in wellness. If you like what you hear, please consider giving us a five-star review and comment. And don't forget to visit us at mindbuddygreen.com for your daily dose of wellness and make sure to check out all of our great offerings, including our online classes and trainings. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. Today, I'm excited to welcome Sophia Rowe to the Mind Body Green podcast. Though she started as a chef, Sophia is also a storyteller who heals herself and others through food and words. Her approach to wellness grew out of her childhood challenges. She grew up with a single mother who struggled with drug addiction and was in and out of the foster care system. Her interest in food led her to discover how to nourish her body, and now she is passionate about helping others find what works for them. You'll find her sharing her food, beauty, and wellness tips with her online community, and refreshingly, she's always sharing her most authentic self. Sophia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, let's start at the beginning. I know you grew up in Florida. Can you share a little bit about your childhood? Yes. So my childhood was a mess. (laughs) Um, My parents are substance abusers. Um, My mom is still um, a drug addict. She lives in a halfway house in, I think, Lakeland. Last time I I checked, I I don't keep in contact with her. And my father died in 2015 before I actually met him. So my young childhood was just with my mom and her, whatever she was doing. She was 19 when she had me, that's pretty young. And um, hanging out with her friends and, you know, drinking a lot and definitely using drugs. Like I have very vivid memories of her using drugs, like visceral in their memories. Um, but I didn't really know it was bad because it was like my life, you know? And then at 11 years old, I was uh, taken away from her and put into foster care and I was in foster care almost, I, I like to say I was in eight different foster cares, but I was moved around um, 12 times. 12 times over the span of seven years? Yeah, till I was 18. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, it was intense. So, so many people don't make it out of foster care. How are you able to recover and thrive? I don't know that I was thriving ever. <laughs> I think surviving is a better word. <laughs> I survived. I don't know how. Um, you know, there were like little bits of, of people, little um, angels, little like uh, little God kisses that I think kind of guided me, whether it was a, a person in school or whether it was like another person I was in foster care with. I and mean, the second you kind of get a routine down, then you're moved. You know, there was never a hope of like being adopted necessarily. That wasn't I was, on the cards? No, I was too old. And I had younger siblings. So I'm, I'm the oldest of four and the youngest are young. They're very young. And did the siblings stay with you? No, we all got separated, which is like, you know, the trauma of that alone, not just for me. I think I was already, I was 11. I was a 12, you know, 11, 12. I kind of knew what I, who I was already, um, at least as a kid. Yeah. But when you're separating two young sisters, the young ones were only a year apart. Oh, trauma, big time trauma. So I am just now even reconnecting with them. You know, when you've got such a big age difference, like I'm 30 years old and my youngest sibling is, she's 13. Oh, wow. So it's like, it's kind of, I mean, she was like a newborn baby, yeah. you know, 13, 14 she is. Yeah. So it's like, even from that perspective, I, I don't think that thriving was ever really going to be part of the the jam or part of my life as a kid. I do remember, uh, you know, finding little, find, sort of finding ways to channel like positive energy. And sometimes that was at school. Like I said, sometimes it was like a person that I happened to be bunked up with at the time, but there was a lot of movement. I think the one thing that children that really works for kids is some kind of consistency. Right. And I really didn't Didn't have have any of it. No, I did not. No, I did not. And I mean, also there's this idea that you, that the system kind of wants you, wants to put you back with your parents. Right. You know, so that there's also this like, oh, my mom's going to be clean for a while and then she's not going to be clean. And maybe my dad will want to meet me, but then my dad doesn't want to meet me. So there was like a lot of weird kind of hope as well. And, you know, long-term visitation with my mom. So I'd be with my mom for a week and then my mom would use use again and then I'd get taken away from her again. So it was a lot of inconsistencies for sure. I, I, would, I don't have much positive uh, I can say about it other than, you know, with all that in mind, when I think about my past, I was a pretty smiley kid. Really? Considering, yeah, strangely, yeah. 
were you you were obviously very resilient to go through what you went through how did you train your mind at a young age or why were you one of them who maybe was not thriving then but seems to be thriving now in life uh well you know i i've at this point i've done so much of the work I was a, let, let, let me be very clear, I was a nasty 18-year-old. Ooh, I was mad. I was mad about my life. I was mad at my mom for not being there, but I was also mad at her for trying to be there. But, you know, I mean, right. like, lots Getting of, your hopes up and then... Yeah, I was upset. You know, I used to sit and listen to, like, this one voicemail of my dad where he, like... I contacted him and he tells me like, yeah, I don't really have time for you. Like you're seen to be doing just fine, you know? So it was like really meditating on like nasty feelings a lot. And the work that I have done, it's, I mean, years. It's taken me 10 years to really like be okay. I'm the happiest person in the world now. Um, But at the time I was so mean, so angry. But strangely, considering my background, I was the most scared person in the world of drugs, alcohol. So I will say that my mom didn't really teach me what to do. She did teach me what What? not to do, which has actually really helped me a lot in life. So what did that 10 years of work entail? So it entailed... Lots of failures, lots of like thinking I was doing the right thing, but wasn't. Lots of lying. So that means like lying to everybody, saying I can do things, I know how to do things, saying my family's great, everything's perfect, I'm awesome, Um, to having to go back to those people and be like, yeah, I remember that thing I said, yeah, I was lying, or yeah, I actually don't know how to do that, or yeah, I actually have no idea what that even means. Lots of accepting that I, that I, that I was a liar, accepting that I was dishonest, accepting that the way that, you know, how sure I was. I wanted everybody to think I had shit real figured out, you know? (laughs) Like, everybody needs to know how figured out I have things. And um, I think it was kind of like coming to terms with myself heavily there. Food, food weirdly wasn't even part of the plan, per per se. How'd you get into healthy eating? Isn't that funny? So food is a really, really kind of interesting thing. It's the one time I remember in my life with my mom, like her responding really well to me, like positive smiles. I love you. You know, when she would come home hungover and I would like give her food, you know, or like make tea for her. So at a young age, you were already showing an interest in food. Oh yeah. My, uh, my mom to distract me, she would like pay attention to what I kind of wanted to watch. And I loved Great Chefs of the World. (laughs) I loved it. I loved the narration. Oh, I just thought it was great. And um, so she'd tape it. Back in the day when you used to tape things. <laughs> and, <laughs> On a VHS tape? <laughs> yeah. And she'd play it, and I'd just sit right real close to the TV and just watch it. And just, I was, oh, my God. And I made these really interesting, like, I would infer really interesting things, like, oh, fire comes out of that stove, but our stove has electrical. Like, I, you know, like at right. a very young age, I was really curious about that. Right. Um, my mom had like a, you know, like a joy of cooking, like a whole bunch of people do. And it was completely unused. But I, when I, I remember starting to learn how to read and being like, asking my teachers at school, what is a tablespoon? Like, what is that? What does that mean? You know? Right. So I was really curious about that, but just the idea of making things. I really liked that making something. Yeah. Um, but food was not part of the, part of the jam. I, I'd say at, I ended up working really hard in school. And, and, and getting a scholarship. I went to community college and then I got a scholarship and, I, and for running track and... What did you run? Oh, uh, the 400. Cool. It's so hard. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I tore my ACL so I couldn't run anymore. And then I was also like still completely confused. I had a really bad boyfriend. Like I just did not know what I wanted to do. So it was very easy. Whatever was easy is what I was doing. Right. If it felt easy, I'm, oh, it's easy for me. I'll quit. I'll just quit school. It's easy. Whatever. No big deal. You know, so I just quit school. And then I'm like, I need money. What's easy? Right? It's easy to lie and say you know how to use a knife when you don't <laughs> just to get hired. I got the job. Easy. But then they find out the next day that I don't know how to use a knife, you know? And so it kept, that was just a, the same narrative over and over and over. Just whatever hustle. And I don't knock that even when I see people doing it, when I see a young person just frustrated or lying or feeling like they need to be I don't even that doesn't even bother me because I know what that is that's like surviving right you know like you, you're never gonna get judgment for me 
for for lying. What do they say about lying? I always think lying is one of those things. It's like if it's good at the beginning, it's good at the end. You know what I mean? Like that's that's how I think about it. Like lying is one of those things that feels really, 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 really good at the beginning. It feels so bad at the end. Yeah. You know? And being honest is really hard at the beginning, but it's so good in the end. You know? And so that was one of those things that I had to overcome heavily. I probably overcame that fear of people finding me out. I always had this imposter like, oh, people are going to find out when I moved to New York. And when did you move to New York? I moved to New York mm, about seven years ago. Yeah, seven years ago, maybe more, seven, eight years ago. And that was really great because nobody cares in New York. People don't care. (laughs) True. Nobody cares. Nobody cares where you're from. Nobody cares what you're doing, what you're not doing. You know, like I say, like, you know, I'm embarrassed because I don't have family to go home to in Thanksgiving. And people are like, yeah, me neither. (laughs) Come on over. Thanksgiving. (laughs) It's no big deal. Right. You know, I mean, part of that started in Miami. So after I lied, said I knew how to use a knife when I didn't, I ended up learning. And I thought, oh, my God, this is a really, I can actually make money doing this. Right. You know, I can make money working in a kitchen. So I got a few different kitchen jobs. And then I was like, well, I'll go to culinary school. You know, and I go to culinary school. I dropped out six weeks later because I got a, it was too expensive and I got a really cool restaurant job. You know, so I was just really floating around, just yep. making money, eating once a day, super not healthy, but I'm 22 and I, my, you know, whatever. Right. You know, so I moved back to Florida and I went to California for a bit to go to culinary school. And I moved back to Florida and I was just working in a restaurant and this couple these you know they're the joneses literally their name are gary and isis jones and the joneses they liked my food um i was working at this raw food restaurant which at the time didn't really mean anything to me i was like raw food whatever it's called cafe 118 because if you give anything under 118 degrees that's novel but like (laughs) i just need a paycheck you know what i mean i was working front of the house back of the house both and i can't even take credit for like recipes and all that was established i was literally just working there but i did have an interesting passion for the no heat in that I could go to work and I felt like I didn't smell like the food, I didn't take home the food, you know, which at the time before wellness was even in any way, shape or form part of my life, that right there, just the idea of how I felt at work already started to make me feel better. Right. Even just like, no, I'm not working with oil. I'm not frying stuff. I'm like, there's not even bread here for me to eat. There's not even, there's no like family meal of pasta. You know, so it was a really big awakening point. Like, wow, I'm like, I ride my, I'll ride my bike to work today. You know? <laughs> Helps you feel good yeah, inside out. Exactly. And then they were like, we want you to be our private chef. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. Like, I was so, I was like 24. I was like, or not even, 23, 24. And I was like, okay. Then when I saw how much they were going to pay me, I was like, great, <laughs> great. And how has your food philosophy evolved since the days of Cafe 118? Um, ooh, they're definitely not as intense. I mean, at the time, at, when I was working there, I wasn't even, that wasn't even my jam. I was just working there. Like I wasn't, yeah. eat, that wasn't adopting that way of eating on a regular basis at all. Um, it wasn't until I worked with the Joneses for a few months and then I got really sick, super, super sick. I had a cluster tumor on my right ovary. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was crazy. And I mean, it's a long story, but I ended up finding a doctor who could treat me that wasn't just like, we'll give you hysterectomy. Right. Because that's the best the protocol. Um, so I did radiation. I did um, some, betw- it's between six to eight weeks of radiation is what they recommend. Sometimes it's 10 weeks, just depends on your particular case. And then I got a surgery. And after that, that's when the pendulum like swung. Like nothing will scare you more than like surgery, like right. cancer, you yeah. know? And um, then Big metaphorical kick in the butt for so many people. Oh my God, especially I know family. I had nobody to seek counsel over this. I had to tell, I didn't even want to tell the Joneses, I didn't even want to tell my employer. And I finally had to tell them. Did you have health insurance? No, of course I didn't. They just paid for it. to the stress. Yeah, they they, they did. They saved my life, the Joneses did. This this beautiful, awesome, great, just cool couple um, came through and totally saved the day. And I guess that's what I mean. Like throughout my life, the universe has provided me with now not in any way should perform anything that monetary no one's ever given me a gift that big monetarily nobody that was like insane that was like like my like literally saved my life with that um but just like uh we believe in yous and right. you're really awesome and you've got a great spirit like you're i talented. had a lot of that when i was younger yeah. but after that surgery i i mean i was like obsessed 
I mean, Hippocrates, Gerson theory, starving the cancer cell, drinking a gallon of wheatgrass juice. Like I was doing two protocols at once. You know, I would only do like um, starving the cell. So it's the Gerson theory. So yep. all that green, green, green. But then I was doing the opposite, like Dr. Morse, yep. tons of sugar, bur- burying my body in like watermelons for like <laughs> only watermelons for 12 days. You know, Banana Island, Freely status. Did like, either of those make you feel better? No. They just made me feel like, they just made me, no. They, I just looked really skinny. I was right. like my, and also was a risk because I had just come out of that surgery. Like I was the worst, like orthorexic, obsessed. Like I was like, I've had six and a half cashews. I've had five hazelnuts. Like I was, it was so unhealthy. And how are you eating now? Now I'm just the I'm the best balanced baby there is. Awesome. <laughs> Tell me more about it. So now it's just, uh, I mean, like pendulum swung again. I think after that, what I did, uh, what changed everything was a silent retreat. Okay. So I did a silent retreat and that changed it all. All of it. That like completely rocked my world. Hardest, was it like a Vipassana retreat or what kind of retreat? It, Ten days it was. Yeah, okay. And it was the best and worst thing I've ever done in my <laughs> totally. entire life. Highly don't recommend, but also recommend. You know what I mean? Yep. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and you're not even supposed to journal at these things. But I did. I broke the rules and I did. And what it did is it instilled this great journal um, journey yeah. for me. And now I'm, I love it. That's that's such a huge part of my life. But But with that, as I was journaling, I was looking into this who I was and writing down all of my thoughts. And I was, man, I was a nasty girl still. I was very angry, super pissed off. Like I've been through all this and then I get sick. I've had these terrible boyfriends. Like I feel sorry for myself all the time. And that really was like, so if you've got to handle your inside right. and that's not just diet, that is not just food related. So the balance of that, I mean, that was like, oh my God, I mean, I'm now I'm 30 years old. So that was six, seven years ago now. Literally right after that, I moved to New York. <laughs> So I moved to New York and I, I never thought I'd be moving to New York first off, but ne- definitely not as like a chef. I was moving here right. as a private chef. I never thought I'd be doing that. But I was working for a family that had a son with really bad celiac disease. At the time, I was practicing so much of that food, so I felt really qualified to do it. Yeah. But when you live in New York, you're, you're, you're access. There's yep. access to everything. There's access to like weird bespoke vegan food and there's access to like the most indulgent like two donuts and a burger in between. There's right. everything. And so it really was a fun time for me culinary wise because I was just trying a lot of different stuff. Right. And out the window was the extremist and more in the window was like the art of it. You know, like I'm just I'm just having fun figuring out how to make gluten-free pasta from scratch. I'm not stressing myself out about, oh my God, how many calories are in it or if it's coconut and my body's sensitive to coconut and I don't want to use any tree nuts and, you know, like it was right. just so, and I feel like so much of it is psychosomatic. Like if you call to action that what you're eating is bad for you, it is. Right. Doesn't matter what it is. There's a lot of orthorexia within wellness. And so it is important to take a step back. It's huge. It's huge. That's actually the biggest problem. I think maybe that's like what I try to address as much as I can now is You know, you'll never catch me like talk badly about any kind of food. Right. Because ultimately you have to talk about access as well. You know, like there are a lot of neighborhoods. I live in a neighborhood where there's just nothing but liquor stores and fast food restaurants. That's just the nature of it. You know what I mean? They're food deserts. They're very real. Oh, in New York City. Yeah. (laughs) 13% of the population is food insecure. Absolutely. And so for me, you're never going to catch me like saying something negative because if it's all, if it's all a set of people have, that's all they have. Right. You know, the best thing you can do is arm people with education, actionable education, which is like my thing is like all the literature in the world is not going to do anything unless you really talk to that person where they are. Right. You know what I mean? Which is what I, you know, everything is always about progression and repurposing. And my my journey with wellness is so filled with repurposing. You know, it's not the same a year ago as it is now. Well, access is a huge problem within wellness. There's never been more wellness in the world, but there's never been more of a need for it between rising obesity, chronic stress, like we could go on and on. What are some of the things that people can do to help bring more access to wellness? I think it's really wherever you're at, you know, like whatever your situation is, like 
I live in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, Bushwick. And even for me, I have to take the subway to get to Union Square to go to the farmer's market, right? Like I have to do that. That is, right. that is, that is like a luxe thing that I even have the time to do something like that. So number one, look at your own situation. Some people have no idea that like what they're doing is even like a luxury. Like it's a luxury, like I realize that, like that I, it's a privilege for me to be able to have the energy to get up and get on the train and go do that. Right. So assess where you're at first and foremost, like uh, before you start judging someone, I guess, that's my biggest one because I think there's a, the, a side of there being a lot of like obesity and, the, and diabetes and heart disease and yes, the list goes on and on and on. There's also so much, there's also so much judgment. Yeah. And that is, I mean, that makes people who live in a food desert feel like, well, I guess... I guess it's, this is it for me uh, I, because I can't afford that. I can't do anything about that, you know? Right. Um, I think there's also the, like the simple stuff, you know? If you do have a platform, and this is my big one, all these people in the world have an Instagram these days, and everybody wants to be on their Instagram talking about all the stuff that they do. This is what I do. This is where I go for food. This is where I do this, and this is where this. But I think it's like talk to if you're in an area where you don't have a farmer's market, if you're in an area where there is no CSA, right? you know, try to reach out elsewhere. I would encourage anybody to do research where you live. Right. You know, Google is right there. It's there. Is there a local farm? I don't know. I can't speak to your area, but I think some people feel like, well, that's in the city. I can't do that. That's not for me. So I'm not even going to bother. Like I utilize Google all the time. I mean, if I know I'm going to San Francisco, I will literally Google, okay, what address am I staying at? What is in my mile perimeter? What is walking distance? Right. You know, like even if it's uh, me bringing my own tea bags or me, you know what I'm saying? Like the smallest little things, bringing your own water bottle, like all of those little tiny things add up to like you being a more healthier you, you know, even if it's not, yeah, like organic Vegetables. I mean, we have a hard time even getting them here in New York sometimes. Oh, all the time. Right. We really do. <laughs> Is everybody going to eat organic? No. Do I eat non-organic all the time? Yeah, I do. I get yeah. food from Chinatown constantly. You know, I really do. So I think that even for me, like I, I would never demonize somebody not eating 100% organic. It's just not realistic all the time for everybody. It's not. Yeah. It's just not. No matter how much time or money you have. <laughs> no, really. It's like not realistic for everybody. Like no. I can even sit here and say like, oh, do a grow box, do a farm share. Do It's like, what? <laughs> there are places where that's just not a thing. Short of like the where wherever it is, make it a priority. Yeah. And if, and if your wellness is starting to stress you out, and like, oh my God, what's going to happen if I have a conventional strawberry? Oh. Then, then you know it's gone too far. Oh my God. And that's a big one too. I think that... When I talk to people who live in like these food deserts, you know, and about how to improve, it's more about the schedule and the ritual of eating in general. It's not about go get some powders, go get tinctures. It's more about, okay, talk to me about your day. Let's develop a grocery schedule, a list, and some meals at home. Let's have one meal a day, no meat. Or excuse me, a week. One meal a week, there's no meat. Let's Let's involve kids in the cooking. Right. Simple, simple stuff. Developing those rituals. Absolutely. A remedy, making a remedy for stress instead of a glass of wine. Let's like repurpose and do this sort of thing. Let's make this kind of dessert. Maybe the process of making the dessert is, will help you with the stress, right? Because I know a lot of times for me, cooking is like all about easing my stress. Totally. You know what I mean? It is a form of meditation. Yeah. So I think that beyond like being like, oh, that produce is bad for you because you didn't get it from a farm. It's it's more about like, hey, you know what? When you can't get great fresh stuff, frozen is a great option because they're always freezing things at their peak at their peak ripeness. I love frozen vegetables. Same. Same. (laughs) You know, so like there's always a way around it. So what are some of your um, tips and tricks for people who are looking to eat healthier, don't have a ton of time, don't have a huge budget. Okay, so in terms of cooking, I think that people are buying produce and they're just letting it sit in their refrigerator. That's like a big one. They're not actually like utilizing. So go with the plan. 
have some things in mind. When you look through Instagram, I know you're doing it. I know you're scrolling. Find photos of things that sound interesting. Save them. That's a feature on Instagram. It's probably my favorite feature on Instagram. Save them. Give yourself like visual inspiration so that you're like, when you go to the market, you have an idea of what to do. Right. People always talk to me, so if I go to the farmer's market and I walk around and I don't know what to get. You need a plan. You got to have a plan. So dive into a plan. The plan doesn't have to be vegan. It doesn't have to be only vegetables, but have one. Right. Right? Even if it's like paleo, eggs, whatever, have a plan. I think that is the most important thing. Also, check in with your morning ritual. If you start your day good, you'll probably end your day good. So what does starting your day good for you look like? Whatever it means. If you start your day, for me, with my day in particular, I like to start my day with a nice, intense stretch. Intense. I wake my, I'm like a big, I'm rigorous when I wake up. So when I wake up, it's like right to my front room, eyes closed, windows open, Hmm. shades open, stretch in my underwear and a bra. Like seriously, that's like how I wake up. Then it's a, a cold water, argan oil, facial massage. Then it's my Earl, my same Earl Grey tea <laughs> with a little bit of hemp seed milk. I do it every single day. It's literally what sets me up for my day. Whatever happens after that is whatever happens after that. But I <laughs> You've think got your armor on, you're ready. <laughs> I'm solid. I'm solid. And I think doing that means you're it, it kind of like it's like putting on your work suit. Yeah. Like, okay, now I've got the now I got the outfit on, right? Now I'm gonna go play whatever part that I'm gonna go play today. I because I have it's a big question mark. We who knows what the day is gonna hold. Right. But the what you do have control of, control it. Right. Because you ha- there are so much you don't have control over. The one thing I know I have control over is how I wake up in the morning. That's the only thing. So I, I do tell people, try to have as much honor in that process as possible. You know, like if it's matcha, it's matcha. If it's coffee, it's co- I don't care what it is. People will tell you matcha's bad for you. Coffee, you do this tea and kombucha. I don't care what it is. Whatever it is, just do it with conviction. <laughs> um, and, and from there, I just encourage people to have one meal a day that you cook doesn't have to be all of them doesn't have to just one meal a day that you even if it's like spreading something on a piece of bread but just the act of making something for yourself is really 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 important and I know that like planning ahead I love a Sunday where I dedicate an hour to like helping out with my food mm-hmm. I don't know why that people are like an hour I'm like think about all the things you spend an hour doing you spend, you spend an hour hanging out with your friends, on a phone call, commuting. Yeah. It cannot possibly be a big deal to spend an hour steaming some sweet potatoes, grilling some chicken breast. For me, the big one, I spend usually that hour making sauces. If I have a sauce, hmm. if I make sauces, three of them, three, four sauces, I'm set. You're set for the week. Oh, man. You know, like, like a little teriyaki moment, a little, um, my favorite, like, red wine vinegar situation, or I have, like, one, like, a gi- uh, ginger Asian situation Then I know that I've, I've already got what's going to make things taste good. Now right. I just need to have the fixings in the fridge, you know? If you've got vegetables in your fridge that look really sad, make sure you're storing them in water like you would flowers. Perks them right up really quick, which I, that's like one of my favorite things to do. People are throwing so much away. So to that point, like what can we do to be a little bit more sustainable at home in the kitchen? Yeah, well, I mean, storing every time, when you get home, store everything in glass, like in mason jars. And you probably have a bunch of them anyway. But like taking those peas, just immediately just put them in a glass jar. They're going to last longer that way. You know, takeout containers, my kitchen, you know, because we all don't want to have, we all don't want to have takeout containers. But the biggest part of recycling is reusing. So with whatever plastic I have, it is in my refrigerator and there's some kind of herb coming out of it. <laughs> Something. There's green onions coming out. Like you open up my refrigerator, it's hilarious. There's green onions, there's basil, there's like uh, big things of red leaf lettuce all just sitting in like Thai, you know, like a green curry container. Yeah. You know, and I just re- repurpose and keep reusing them and reusing them and reusing them. Seed starters. If you're going to start some seeds, use your takeout containers. It's the easiest, easiest, easiest and best, I think the best use for them as well. It's right. By your window. They're like a perfect size. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People probably have them anyway. Well, oh, no. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean, of course. You know, another thing is, is like at any moment in time, I've had the same sweet grain fork in my purse for six months. <laughs> like, why do you need, I had this, I, I was, you know, talking to my friend because we were at Sweet Green and she got a fork and I got my fork. I had my fork in my purse and she was making fun of me. And I, I did a visual and I said, look at this fork. I held out my fork and then I walked up to where they have the forks are and I said, look at all these forks. Now, if you get a Sweet Green salad every single day and you throw your fork away, look at what seven forks look like and look at this one fork. 
you know? Yeah. Like, you can keep it. Right. So, like, if you do have a single-use product, be creative. If you've got a big tide to go, that baby, you wash it, clean it real good, that can be a great way for you to water your plants. Right. You know? And, I mean, I have a ton of plants. But you can also start repurposing those plastic containers that you have as cute little places to put your plants when you propagate. You know? So, I have a ton of that. Like, I definitely have some Dr. Bronner's um, (laughs) containers that have some, like, plants in them. But, you know, I I do feel like I try to be – I am as conscious as possible, but it's also like big picture showering. That's a really big one. So trying to cut that shower time down. Yeah. I know that's so hard because, man, it's so luxe to take a hot, nice, juicy shower. Especially in the New York winter. Oh, my God. It's – yes. But what I try to, you know, make sure I supplement that by, like, lathering myself in, like, argan oil afterwards. Like, I try to make sure that I luxe myself in some kind of way and make myself feel, like – you know, rubbing my feet and rubbing my face in oil and like make still give myself that experience without being in the shower for half an hour. Right. You know what I mean? Because that's a problem. You know, I'm, I just I think, think we can about, all agree on that. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely think about it. But it's also, you know, big picture. I've had to send out, you know, and maybe a lot of people aren't talking about this on Instagram. I love talking about difficult stuff. I have sent, I don't know how many emails. I don't know how many brands. Sorry, I, I actually don't want to be on your PR list because of the waste. Right. So the packaging issue is a big one, and it means a lot to me, like deep in my heart. It's something I feel really passionate about. And it's hard because everybody's ordering online these days, you know? It's like even like everybody, okay, go to Glossier. You know, you order online in Glossier, and you got your cute pink bag. I love Glossier so much, but I could easily just take the train and go into Glossier and get no packaging. So I do. You know what I mean? (laughs) So it's really about – it's about – it's – is it – I get that it's a convenience, but like, who is it convenient to? You know, it's just me. It's not convenient to the planet, you know? Well, and you brought up Instagram, and I think Instagram is such an interesting topic within wellness. You have a huge following on wellness, on, on Instagram. There are so many studies out there that show the effect of social media on our health, on our mental health, especially as it relates to young women and girls. But like all things, it's not binary. There's a great community of food inspiration on Instagram, a great way to connect with other leaders and um, wellness enthusiasts. How do you balance Instagram to make sure that you're having a positive relationship with it? Um, I, you know, I, I, maybe I'm really lucky. I don't know. I feel like I have a really great family on Instagram. I do not call them follow my, my community. I don't call them followers. I call them my family. <laughs> I'm very convicted in that, that that's not what they are to me. Um, we, we teach each other. Um, but I do have a pretty strict shutdown, you know, like at that after 9 p.m. is like I'm pretty solid with that. Like once it's 9 p.m., it's a wrap. Right. I, I'm also, you know, in order for me to be good for my community, I have to be good for myself. Right. And a lot of that comes with like, whatever I have to do during the day. That this idea that I'm constantly using the app is, I just, I, I'm not. There's no way. There's just, that I had to get get through at the very beginning. Like there's just going to be no way you can get to every DM. There's no way you can get to every single person as much as you're going to want to and you're going to try to. You're going to hope that whatever you post and whatever messages come through, come across as good as they do. The people that you're able to reach out to on Instagram, great. But a lot of what I'm trying to do with my platform is get people actually doing more IRL, more in real life stuff. Yep. So come to this workshop, go to this class, come see this thing. You Leave know, the screen. Yeah, put the screen down. And I don't like to, even when I send people emails, like I send people voice notes, dude. Like I literally record voice memos and send them to people. And every single time I've ever done that, I've always gotten, oh my God, no one's ever sent me that before. <laughs> that is crazy. But what it does is, Number one, it's like functional, it's personal. Right. But also it gets you off your looking at something and just listening to something, which I think is really sexy. It's really interesting to kind of like shut down what you see and what you're ingesting in that way and just like listen to a message that someone's giving just for you. Right. You know? So that's something that I I that's that's a way that I try to like communicate with people on a bigger in a in a bigger way. But as for social, it can get it's a slippery slope. It can get really intense really fast. You know, there are definitely times where I have one person be like, I'm sick of hearing stories about your mom. And I, and I have to, that's up to me at that juncture to be like, you know what? I can take that to heart or I can be like, 
hey man, thanks for the feedback, but like it's totally my Instagram. Feel free to click that unfollow button. I love you either way, whether you unfollow or not. I'm sending you all the love and all the blessings, but like this is my, this is me, you know? This is my space and I'm, I'm telling my stories in hopes that other women who also have that same narrative know that they are not by themselves. Right. But also I'm telling it for me. This is my healing journey just as much as it is for anybody else. Right. You know, so I think it's understanding too. What is your social media to you? Right. You know? What purpose is it serving in your life? Yeah, because like for me, it's 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 a way for me to connect. It's a way for me to heal. But it's also, um, if you're not careful, it can be a way to kind of inhibit your healing and inhibit connection. For sure. So it's just really about trying to find a happy medium and, and find the balance. And for me, I found balance mostly in just keeping, uh, you know, posting twice a week. You won't see me posting every day. Not a chance. <laughs> You know, I will story every day and when I, and my stories are all sort of like throughout my day, the idea of setting up a cool backdrop and doing a, nah, nah, that's too much. (laughs) It's all very in real life or it's not at all. Right. You know, like that's my concept there of like reality. Also the, um, creating more in real life stuff. So I spend all the downtime I do have trying to create places where people in whatever area can come to. So it's like, um, in terms of access, I mean, back to that quickly, like, I want to create a panel. Yeah, it's annoying. The panel's in the Flatiron District, but it's free. You guys, it's free. You know, like I did a panel in LA, um, Rebecca Minkoff, like it's kind of weird. It's fashion that's not quite, you know, what people maybe would expect. But Rebecca Minkoff was so beautiful in giving me a free place to come and talk about self-care, which is great since that's how we can bring people in who need that information. So speaking of self-care, I've I've heard you use the phrase staycation, uh, staycation moment. What are your self-care rituals? I have so many. I talk about it in this language, self-care versus self-optimization. They're not the same thing. Um, Self-optimization is sort of like a phrase that I use for making yourself a better you, you know? So that can be that $28 smoothie, the infrared sauna, the that staycation, right? That those things that cost money that can contribute to a, a more optimized you. Self-care, saying no more frequently, deeper breaths, better sleep. Um, Therapy. Th- Yeah. Oh my God. Therapy, journal sessions, a quick aside on journaling. I I, I really want to talk about journaling. I've I've used the term stress journaling on my own platform constantly because I feel like it's so important writing down what your stresses are and really reading them back and, and looking and seeing where and finding where the patterns are. That was a huge way that I was able to overcome a lot of the trauma that I've actually had. So for somebody that is experiencing, I'm talking like really aggravated trauma, like really intense stuff, whether it's depression or anxiety or suicidal or sexual or whatever it is. The stress journaling has been a really great actionable self tool that I've been able to utilize. It doesn't cost any money. Just writing down every single stress in your life every day for seven days. After seven days, really assessing where are the patterns? Where am I seeing issues? Turns out I complain really bad on my commute, but I only complain really bad on my commute when I'm on the way to work. <laughs> so maybe it's a work issue. Right. Maybe it's a it's a, maybe there's something going on with my employer employee situation. Finding your internal triggers. Right. So that's a huge, huge, huge part of my self care is not just like now I know what my triggers are, but finding and optimizing. Uh, tips and tricks and tools to kind of get through those things. I think that's a a really important distinction because I think within wellness, sometimes self-care becomes these elaborate rituals and, you know, hour-long baths. And occasionally I like to have one too, but it's not an everyday occurrence. Totally. And I also think like a, like a self-care thing can be a glass of wine. Yeah. Can't like, if you're somebody who's like, you know, if somebody who's like all about smoking an herbal cigarette or, you know, some CBD or THC, like that's great too. I, I, I think that everybody just needs to find what works for them. And this is going back to social media. Social media is great. It till it gives you a tons, tons of things to try. But if you have something that's working and you're feeling all right, please don't change it. <laughs> You know, like, don't do as I do, you know, like find what works for you and, and, and keep doing it. You know, like coconut oil is all the rage. I can't use it on my skin. It breaks me out. So let's talk a little bit about beauty for a second. What do you have any beauty rituals? Oh, my God. I have. He- oh, my I know. So- I know argan oil. Oh, I have so <laughs> many. Oh, man. I love argan oil. I love shea butter. Um, I love, you know, one of my favorite beauty rituals is really like no mirror time. 
Ooh. So I don't do my beauty ritual in front of the mirror. So that's a big one. We shut down the mirror after 6 p.m. So no mirror after 6 p.m. at all. No nighttime mirrors. None. We don't do it at all. Um, Nighttime is when I'm home. And when you're home, you're more likely to pick. Pick at your skin. Look at your face. See where you have issues. Nah, like we put that last face mask on or whatever that retin-a treatment is <laughs> and we shut the mirror down so no mirror time that has been really really a, a really beautiful free thing that i've been able to utilize um i'm a hyperpigmentation sufferer okay so um as I, and i have brown skin a lot of women of color have that same exact thing so from like an actual product thing like products that have really helped me vitamin c has been a game changer um, the Nuco has my favorite one. It's like name drop, but that's like my favorite product right yeah. now. Um, also internally, what has really helped me out a lot is, is a great and very consistent for two years now, evening primrose situation. Yep. I use evening primrose religiously and I always know if I stop because I start to break out, like wow. get those hormonal breakouts. Yep. That has been an absolute game changer for my skin massively. What about herbs and supplements? Do you take any for beauty or for life? I do. I, I'm like a big probiotic girl. I don't go crazy with it though because it, the, now probiotics and everything. It's probiotic and peanut butter and it's in this and it's in like, <laughs> it was like probiotic in your lipstick. I'm like, wait, what? So true. <laughs> it's in everything. I've been using the same probiotic. I use the same new co-probiotic. I love it. Um, and then I use uh, a Vega. Um, I love that brand. Um, Protein powder? Yep. And then I also, um, the B12, I, I love um, taking a, a, a plant-based B12. Um, but other than that, and my evening primrose oil, no, I'm, I don't do anything religiously. I mean, I used to be really big with black cohosh. I used to take that super, 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 like crazy, crazy religiously, crazy. Um, but then I went to, I went to Mexico for like 15 days and I forgot my black cohosh and I noticed no change. <laughs> I was like, I wonder if that's doing, maybe that's not doing anything for me. And my skin's okay. My skin is fine. I'm not like, oh my God, everything's working out. Um, I do notice that like, you know, I don't have an iron issue. I get my blood work done uh, twice a year. Nice. And I do feel like it's important to do that if you're somebody who, I, I don't know, I have really intense issues with like just taking a supplement because someone says take a supplement. Right. Everybody's different. Bioindividuality is mad real. Just because yeah. I need it doesn't mean you do. As for and I love getting the blood work to make sure it's working. Well, and also like see gives me that positive reinforcement. Totally, and like see where you need like where where is it an issue? Right. Like I, listen, I love chlorophyll. You know, I love you know there are tons of little bespoke, interesting powders and things that you get. That stuff is great. I never want to give the impression that you need it though. Right. You know, like you don't you're not gonna die if you don't have spirulina. You're not gonna die without chlorophyll or chlorella. It's like, you're going to be okay. I love a green powder, but like, I also feel like I am eating so, oh my God, if you saw how much I, how much food I eat in a day, I eat so much food in a day. It's, it's, it's outrageous, you know, like two huge, like those big metal, you know, salad bowls, I eat two a day, Right. you know, like I'm constantly eating. I, we're the, you know, animals in terms of humans, we're the only species that like watches our calories. You know, that's crazy, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I do, you know, obviously keeping balance in mind, but I'm a big intuitive eater. That's a huge part of my beauty and self-care ritual. You know, I, I honor those moments. I don't want pasta every day. Right. I don't want pasta every month, you know? <laughs> so when I have a, when I'm like, God, I can use some pasta. I'll go get myself some pasta and make it. It's delicious. That that need is satisfied on the next thing. Right. No stress. I do not stress. Stress is like the root of all evil. I know. It. I, f- I have this theory that like stress is what gave me cancer to begin with. Just like stress and fear and just so many internal issues, you know? So I do think that it's so important to get down to the nitty gritty beyond like finding your, you know, uh, your actual rituals. Understand that self-care does not cost a penny. Yeah. And chronic stress is is not good for the mind or body in any way. No. Like even if some of the like healthiest, quote unquote, healthiest people I know don't even feel good. Right. They might be vegan. They might be drinking juices. They're taking, they're doing rituals, but they are stressed out, man, for whatever yeah. reason, whether it's a relationship. Like I tell people all the time, check in with your body like you check in with your dreams. <laughs> it's simple. You know, you check in with your dreams every day. Like, well, it's like, 
I'm, oh, I'm working really hard for that dream. Like you got to check yeah. in with your body the exact same way. So a girl asked me the other day, like, what should I take for fatigue? What do you mean, what should you take for fatigue? Fatigue could be anything. Like, fatigue could mean you're pregnant. <laughs> fatigue can, you know, it's like what? Fatigue can be a symptom of anything. Yeah. So it's, so much of this is like lifestyle and, and finding a consi- a, something that you can do consistently. Right. You know, like that, that truly, truly works. And the beauty thing for me, like I spend you know, an hour on my skincare, but I spend like no time on my hair. You know, that's what works for me. If you want to spend every single day like deep conditioning and doing all that self-care for your hair and that makes you feel good, baby girl, keep doing that. Right. (laughs) You know? You got to tune into what makes you feel good. Every single time. So when you get up in the morning, what gets you excited about the day? Ooh, depends on the day. Man, you know what? I'm so... I'm one of those people, I've been through a lot, and maybe people think it sounds super cheesy, but I'm just so grateful that I get to wake up some days. I really am. I'm a, I'm a super empathetic person. I probably cry a few times a day. I mean, I was like on the subway the other day, like watching this very young father pick up his screaming baby. You could tell he was like, I do not know what I'm doing. This baby is screaming, picking up this baby, trying to kind of soothe this baby. And in that innocent moment, I start crying. <laughs> like, so you absorb the energies of those so around hugely. you. So yeah. deeply, so deeply. I really work hard every single day to find beautiful stories in every single moment, which is a huge part of what I even dedicate my Instagram to. Is lots of vignettes, lots of storytelling. It's, if it's no story, then I really don't care. Um, so every single day is an opportunity for a really beautiful set of stories. And that is so inspiring to me. I'm in the yeah. middle of writing a book. So the book is like part memoir, part cookbook, part zine. It's very interesting. Um, but so much of even the book that I'm writing is so based on day to day. Yeah. Not a happening. Every There's this idea that there's so much destination. I can't wait to get to this thing. Peak happiness. This apex. <laughs> I can't wait. And I'm like, I'm so, the, the, the sexiest thing in the world to me is a day. Right. The, the opportunity of that day. And so because I've been through so much in my life, I find so much gratitude and gratefulness and just like I get to do today, right. you know? And so, and I've seen that people talking about it before, but instead of being like, I have to go to work today, it's like, no, you get to go to work today. You get to eat today. You know, you get to do all of these things. Like how exciting is that? So much about getting through a hard moment is just about repurposing how you feel about the moment. Right. You know, this is your sowing season. This is your like, your, your this is your farming season and your harvest season will be here when it gets here. Yeah. You know, you're exactly where you need to be and you're right on schedule. Reprogramming for sure. Oh, totally. In like a big way. And I, I guess I'm really excited for, you know, when, when I have really bad days, I'm so excited because I know good ones are coming. Right. And when I have really good ones, I'm so excited because I know that eventually there'll be a rough one. But I'm like, it's like skin. When I have a good skin day, I'm like, oh, I'm I'm seeing my friends today. <laughs> I'm going out. Oh, I'm going out. This is a good skin moment. Like we are like, I'm, I'm doing it. Yeah. And when I have a bad skin moment, I'm like, it's all right. So you need your friends to see that you're real. You need Instagram to see that you're real. I am notorious for doing story. People think my skin is perfect. I'm like, are you sure? You know, like I'm notorious for doing that. Just to remind me and myself that I'm human. Right. You know? And I think that like, you know, it's kind of also like sweet to be human in a lot of ways. I've, I've learned, you know, and I'm in my 30s now and it's it makes me sad sometimes. I think like, oh my God, I'm just now really like accepting my humanness. You know, like on moments where I'm like, I... Girl, the other day I literally was try. I spent an hour looking at a 1099 form, and I'm just like, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> no, like, you know, like I'm new. I'm a new freelancer. I'm trying to figure this out. But like, that's a really sweet moment. Yeah. In my in like life. Like, yeah. You you end up in the learning. journey. Yeah, you end up learning it. And you get it together. So, you know, I remember I was working at Milk Makeup. I was working at this beauty company, and like that moment where. I had only been a chef. I'd only been working in kitchens and I was told I needed to like CC and like loop someone in on an email. And like, I legit didn't know what CC meant. So I asked someone like, what's CC, you know? And like, that's this, I should have been so embarrassed to ask that question in an office. Like, what does CC mean? But like, I wasn't, Yeah. you know, like I, I just feel like we have these like moments in life where we find such insecurity and we find such shame and they're really just sweet, you know? And what keeps you up at night? Oh, my God. Everything. (laughs) 
every all the things I want to do, things I want to say. Yeah. Um, my my nighttime is my biggest crying time. That's my mo. That's when I'm my most triggered. I think about my mom the most at night. I think about my, you know, moments that I had with her that I really loved the most at night. So I try my hardest to um, give my mom those moments. I and I to talk about it briefly because my mom is such a big part of my life. My mom is a terrible mom, but my greatest inspiration. So I never want anybody to look at me in the way that I talk, like uh, like that she was this horrible person. My mom is a drug addict. She was sick. I never see anyone talking about addiction in the wellness space, and it hurts my feelings because I feel like if there's anybody that needs wellness, it's addicts. It's Absolutely. Obesity. It's a lot of the people that can afford wellness aren't sick. Right. So the sick people are the people that need it the most. And I really find it, you know, for me, like I feel right now what's keeping me up at night is, is really trying to find a way to, to make that, you know, addiction centers and halfway houses to make those places that feel better than they are. I lived in so many halfway houses with my mom as a kid. They're not safe. They're not welcoming. They don't. They don't all, I mean, I wouldn't say about all of them, but they don't encourage wellness in a way that I think that people that have drug addictions need. So, you know, that's another thing I like to do with my platform. Like, I I really think, I mean, there are so many issues in so many marginalized communities and so many areas that really need help, but I never see anyone talk about addiction. So I feel like right now what's keeping me, that is keeping me up at night. Like, I really want to try to spearhead that in in a way that can be helpful, you know, and ultimately also one day in my life one day I have no idea if it's a reality if it will happen I also always think about a moment that like I call my mom or talk to her or see her or have some kind of connection with her you know if she wants that one day you know yeah and what advice would you give to your younger self um so it changes every day (laughs) (laughs) Um, slow down, slow down, slow, slow, slow. It, like time is only real when you're baking a cake and you don't know how to bake cakes yet. So <laughs> slow down um, and really make make solid decisions and choices to, to be happy even when you, when you feel like happy is just like, how could that possibly be an option? Right. It's way, way harder, young Soph, to be mean and be angry. Like, ugh. If I could talk to any young person, me, whoever, if you're 20 years old and you are mean and judgy and nasty, oh, it is it is not your fault. It is such a reflection of what's happening inside of you. And I get it, girl or boy or non-binary, whatever you, you, you I get it. It is such a, so easy to be mean and so, and be angry. But it, it really, once you figure that out, like, oh, I can just choose. <laughs> I can just choose to be nice today and smile, you know? Yeah. Um, victim addiction is real. I, I was I, I spent most of my life being very addicted to being like a victim. Poor me, poor me. And I and I to my younger self I'd say, you know what, self, you're right. Like poor you, but like what else? Right. You know, what's next? You know, for sure. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us today. Oh my god, thank you for having me. It's a joy. 